Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So I do a a Torah study with Jewish men uh, every Sunday, and uh, one of them recently asked me, so like, what's the deal with the sacrifices, right? It seems a little strange that there would be a sacrificial system and that animals would be dying. It, it doesn't really mesh with our modern sensibilities, right? We don't think about that. And uh, we, we have a hard time understanding the book of Leviticus, which goes into detail about these sacrifices and the priesthood. Of course, in uh, modern Judaism and modern Christianity, there are no sacrifices at this point, uh, mostly because uh, the temple was destroyed uh, about 2,000 years ago, so we had to come up with some solutions. Judaism and then later uh, Yeshua faith have developed ways of solving this problem. Judaism typically points to prayer and repentance and good works instead, instead of the animal sacrifices. And there's some merit to this solution. And uh, uh, Yeshua faith, uh, Christianity, typically points to Yeshua as the ultimate sacrifice. And there's some merit to that solution as well. So you can bet that in Messianic Judaism, we're probably going to combine the two and come up with a solution. Uh, uh, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Does that sound good? So the question is, what is there to learn from this book, Leviticus, that we are beginning today? What is the point of these sacrifices, and how should that influence our relationship with God? What is the value of reading Vayikra? So I think the best way to think about the offerings in Leviticus is to start with love. Oh, give yourselves a hug. That's right. Okay. Because this is something we all understand. Maybe we haven't, you know, slaughtered a goat lately, but we do understand love. We understand closeness, right? Giving and making uh, sacrifices in our lives in a a figurative way, right? Like I'm going to make, my mom used to make sacrifices for me, not the goat kind, but she would schlep me all over town to this and that lesson, you know, so I would have opportunities and things like that. So that was the kind of sacrifice that she made. And we, we understand this, right? So most people don't love to read Leviticus because they don't know it's about love. But we love love, right? Yeah, we like the hugs. And so we should love to read this book, which is really about love. You catch what I'm saying, beloved? Yes? Okay. So I'm going to quote now from Rabbi Shimon Posner. He's writing about Leviticus, and this is what he says. This is not a book about guts and blood. This is a book about love. The altar was a place where heaven touched earth. The fire that consumed the offerings was fanned by the very breath of heaven. That such a place existed was itself an act of love. The Hebrew name Vayikra has something that the Latin translation doesn't 
capture. The sages tell us that Vaikra, which literally means and he called, is a term of endearment. Vaikra is love. When God calls to Moses, he calls to him in love. When God commands Moses, he commands with love. And when God speaks to his people, commands his people, he calls to us with love. Unquote. All right, so let's begin with the first verse of the Torah portion. Last week we talked about this verse, and he called, being a continuation of the part before. Uh, how Moses, remember, he couldn't enter the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, and then we see, and he called right from the tabernacle. Remember, sometimes we have to do what? Keep reading. Encourage someone and turn to somebody next to you and say, keep reading. All right, don't finish the story too early. Rabbi Stuart Dowerman has this comment about the uniqueness of the opening uh, uh, of saying when he called, or Vaikra. This is from Rabbi Stuart. Quote, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The puzzle is why the verse doesn't begin as hundreds of other verses do. Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe lemor. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Don't, aren't you familiar with that? You've probably heard that from the Bema hundreds of hundreds of times. So why does Vayikra, Leviticus 1.1, start this way? The Lord called to Moses before referring to what Adonai said to him. That called, that Vayikra is unique. Matthew Berkowitz of the Israeli campus of the Jewish Theological Seminary reminds us that Nachmanides, the Spanish Jewish philosopher sage, said that Moshe was intimidated by encountering God in the tent of meeting. Therefore, God opened communication by doing what? Calling out to him. Other commentators suggest that since he had already brought Israel out of Egypt, received the Torah at Mount Sinai, and then super, supervised the building of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, Moshe thought his job was finished and his usefulness to God was over. Therefore, God calls to him as if to re-enlist him in continuing service to Hashem and Israel, right? God gets to finish our story. Writing in the late 11th century, Rashi suggested that this calling Moshe by name was a way of expressing affection. Mm. All three of these interpretations have something to say about us and our relationship with God. Some of us are intimidated concerning God and need to sense his address, calling us by name into relationship and service. Others of us who think God may be done with us need to discover he is yet calling to us to serve him. Finally, some of us need to remember that we are not only his servants, but we are also his beloved children. In the words of Isaiah 43.1, he says to us, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. Unquote. So thanks to uh, Rabbi Stewart for those insights. So even in the small details, this book of offerings and priests, what is it about? It's about love. It's about intimacy. Let's start with the sacrifices. We're gonna, not going to talk about all of them, but we're going to look at some of them. In this context uh, of the tabernacle, that's what we see the sacrifices. And it's been lovingly described, remember the tabernacle description, for page after page. We just read through that in Exodus. And now we see how it works, how this vehicle for God dwelling with us is put into action in Leviticus. 
We also see the working out of the priesthood, which is the mediator between God and the rest of creation or the rest of Israel. As I've mentioned in recent sermons, what are we? We are all priests in a sense, right? And the created world is a cosmic temple, right? Or a cosmic tabernacle. Uh, Leviticus gives these concepts shape and definition. We see how it plays out. So the first thing we notice about the sacrifices is that there are different kinds. So we want to learn about that. Here's the opening of this week's Parsha. Uh, and this is from the Everett Fox translation, which um, I really like how he, he gives the underlying meaning of the word. So I'm going to explain that in a second. And he called to Moshe, Adonai spoke to him from the tent of appointment, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Anyone, when one among you brings a near offering for Adonai from domestic animals, from the herd or from the flock, you may bring near your near offering. If an offering up is his near offering from the herd, then male holy sound, let him bring it near as acceptable for him before the presence of Adonai. He is to lean his hand on the head of the offering up so that there may, may, be, may be acceptance on his behalf to effect ransom for him. So we have two different words here. We have the near offering and we have the offering up, right? Those are two Hebrew words that uh, Everett Fox is honing in on. I like this translation because it gives a sense of the root word. So the word for near offering, here it is in Hebrew. Can anybody read this? Korban, korban, right? This is related to the, uh, the word for near or close. In the liturgy, uh, we just said, we say, when will you reign in Zion? Bikarov biyamenu, soon, even in our days, right? Close, korban. What does this do? It brings the holy God near. That's what the offering does. This is just a word for offering, but in, in the sense of it, it's nearness, intimacy, closeness, belonging. This is the intimacy of love. A holy God enables us, through the offerings, to be what? To be close to him, right? The other word we have uh, mentioned here is hola, right? Which is not the Spanish hola, right? It's different, <laughs> okay? But hola is, uh, uh, Fox translates this as, Offering up, offering up. Everyone go like this, offering up. Hola, all right? And then we have the korban, drawing near, okay? So let's do them both. Korban, near offering, hola, going up, okay? A lot of times this is translated as the burnt offering. Hmm, what's going on here? Why do you think that is? Right, because the smoke goes up to God, right? So it's, it has that, that direction. It's related to the word for aliyah. Do you see the, you see the relationship? The, the Hebrew words have a, have a root. So that's related to the word aliyah. And uh, Andrew just had an aliyah, right? What did he do? He moved to Israel. No, I'm just kidding. That's also Aliyah. All right? But he went up to the Bema to read from the Torah. Or if you make an Aliyah, uh, you, you can move to Israel. You go up to, to the land, right? And uh, there's an there's a, a airline in Israel called El Al, right? Which is also related to this. And uh, it translated means to up. To up. 
that's the name of their airline. I don't know. I didn't pick it, but we can see this, this route is in a lot of places. You don't like that? Two up? I think that's cute. Okay. All right. We'll move on. Uh, so this is translated as the burnt offering because the idea is the smoke goes up to God. The first time this word appears is significant, right? If you look at the first mention of a Hebrew word, that gives you a sense of the meaning of it, right? And we look at it in context. So does anyone know when the first time we see Ola, a, a burnt offering or an offering that goes up? Who's the first person to do this? Any guesses? Before Abraham... Uh, Cain and Abel, they use a different word, but we're going to go to them. That's good. Hold on to that. Noah. Yes. Noah uses uh, this word. The first time, it's the offering up of Noah. And Hashem takes in the smell of the burnt offering. The smell, remember this is after months and months of rain and destruction in the waters of chaos. Noah was the first person to offer something up. So he's like a proto-priest. Destruction and chaos are behind him. He comes out of the boat, and then we see the gift that goes up. The olah went up to Hashem, up in the smoke. A burnt offering is a gift of thanks for restoration and renewal. So here's what the scripture says. This is how um, the Bible describes it. So Noah came out with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives. Every animal, every crawling creature, every flying creature, everything that crawls upon the land came out from the ark and their families. That's a reference to the creation story, right? This is a new creation. Then Noah built an altar to Adonai. So he's coming out of the boat. He built an altar to Adonai, and he took of every clean domestic animal and a very clean flying creature and offered a burnt offerings on the altar. That's the Ola. Okay. Can we show that? Okay. When Adonai smelled the soothing aroma, Adonai said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, even though the inclination of the heart of humankind is evil from youth, nor will I ever again smite all living creatures as I have done. This is kind of connected to the Noah, Noah um, covenant, right? God knows that humans are, we're going to mess up, right? We're made of dust, and uh, we're, we're going to tend toward evil. But even so, he's still not going to uh, let the fullness of his destruction on us because it's his heart to restore us, to bring us new life. And that's what we see here. And this offering up is connected to that. It's a part of that story of, of, of kind of, it's difficult to think about this, but reminding God in a sense of his faithfulness, right? It's, it's that relational love that's a little bit hard to describe, but that's what we see in this picture. So, and then the next verse says, while all the days of the land remain, ha'aretz, uh, the earth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease, right? That's the created order that God will maintain. Even if we mess up, he's still going to hold us together by his grace and mercy. Uh, so the next time we see the Ola offering that goes up is uh, the very next time. When, when is that? I think somebody said it. There's an offering from Avraham, right? What is that offering? It's his, his son, his son Isaac. So here's the, here's the commandment from, uh, from the Torah. Take now your son, your only son, the beloved one, Isaac, 
and go up, go for yourself, lech lecha, to the land of Moriah. Moriah is a mountain. So where did, in order to get on a mountain, where do you have to go? You have to go up. So you go up and then you offer up the gift, right? So that's, that's the root twice. He's saying, offer up the gift that goes up, literally is what it says. On there, on one of the mountains that I will show you, right? So that offering up is actually Isaac himself. And a lot of scholars believe that Isaac was old enough, he was a teenager at this point. So in a sense, Isaac is also offering himself up because he's aware of what's going on. Avraham, his father, was offering him back up to God. So he ascended to make an aliyah, right? Just like Andrew did. So they walked together, father and son, going up, up the mountain, and then making the offering up. That which is offered up, the olah, it brings near the one who is already high and lifted up, right? Because the smoke ascends, so that there's that connection there, that love, that closeness. We remember the binding of Isaac when we pray. This is what we, we think about. We, uh, a lot of times we think about it when we say the Shema, the unification uh, of, of God, the oneness of God, we remember the binding of Isaac. And as followers of Messiah, we remember the self-sacrifice of Yeshua in the same way when we say the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, we think of Yeshua offering himself. And, and traditional Jews think of Isaac offering himself. The binding of Isaac is remembered uh, during the morning prayers of observant Jews all over. And the merit of Abraham that is ours by trusting, right? We lean on the merit of the ancestors. And as uh, followers of Messiah, we lean on the merit of Yeshua. This is a, an idea that goes through Judaism and into Messianic Judaism. The Koran Sador reads this. This is the commentary first, and then the prayer uh, in the daily prayers. This is in the Shacharit, morning prayers uh, every day that observant Jews do. This is, at the, this is the commentary. On the basis of Jewish mystical tradition, some have the custom of saying daily, the biblical passage recounting the binding of Isaac, the supreme trial of faith in which Abraham demonstrated his love of God above all other loves. There's that idea of love again. And then this is what the Siddur actually says. Our God and God of our ancestors, remember us with a favorable memory and recall us with a remembrance of salvation and compassion from the highest of high heavens. Remember, God is high and lifted up. Remember, Lord our God, on our behalf, the love of the ancients, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, the covenant, the loving kindness, and the oath you swore to Abraham, our father, on Mount Moriah, and the binding, when he bound Isaac, his son, on the altar, as it is written in your Torah. And then it goes on to tell the entire story in Genesis 22 of the binding of Isaac, uh, which I'm not going to quote here, but you're welcome to go and, and read it. And it's also not only in the Bible, but it's also in the Koran Siddur on page 32. So faithful Jews approach God through the merit of Abraham, which is a story of love for God. And then God reciprocates that love by rescuing Isaac, right? In resurrecting him, in a sense. Similar, so it's very similar also to the Noah story, right? Of that renewal after, after potential for death and destruction. Now it's renewal and the love and restoration of God. And this is also how we approach God. 
We approach God through the merit of Yeshua and in love and in renewal. So Hebrews 4, which is very kind of very priestly um, uh, part of the New Covenant scriptures, puts it this way. This is interesting. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Yeshua, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So we see we approach God in the merit of Yeshua, but also it relates to the Noah story, we see the Noah story, we see the Isaac story, and we see the Levitical system, right? That Yeshua is the high priest in this, in this system, as well as the sacrifice. Okay, so let's uh, continue uh, with another one. This is what uh, Fox calls the grain gift. Uh, and this is uh, from Leviticus 2.3. Now what is left of the grain gift is Aaron's and his sons, a holiest holy portion from the fire offerings of Adonai. And here is the word for grain gift in, in Hebrew. Can anybody read that? Mincha, yes, or mincha. So where does this come Where's the first time we see the word mincha? Uh, well, I think uh, our Shamish Wayne had it. That is... Cain and Abel. So picture them, right? They're just east of Eden. We've just been kicked out, right? In front of perhaps the two winged cherubim. And Cain, the firstborn son of humanity, takes from the fruit of the ground and uh, gives a gift to Hashem. But perhaps he kept the best for himself, right? So that his, his mincha wasn't uh, from the heart. And then Abel offered a gift, a mincha, from the firstborn of his flock, from the best that he had. And then Abel, in a sense, becomes the mincha. He becomes like that gift because his very life was offered to God as a mincha, kind of like Isaac, and of course, kind of like Yeshua. The next time we see mincha, we picture Jacob. Uh, he betrays his brother. And he has run away, he spent a long time away from him, and then he's coming back. And he wants to give a gift to Esau to show that he has changed, that he's not the same guy that he was, and so that perhaps they can have some shalom between them. Um, so this is what it says. Um, I have, if I have found favor in your eyes, then you will take my offering, or mincha, from my hand. For this is the reason I've seen your face. It's like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Isn't that beautiful? It's like in this offering of the mincha to Esau, Jacob is, it's like he's seeing the face of God. This is that love intimacy, because we know, we just spoke this, that love of God and love of our brother are connected to each other. Then we picture Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes. They bring a mincha to somebody. Actually, just 11 of them bring, uh, or maybe 10 of them, because Benjamin's behind. But anyway, some of the brothers, uh, the sons of Jacob, bring a, a gift to someone. Who do they bring that to? They bring it to Joseph, right. Having betrayed him, again, there's that betrayal, and they're near starvation, and they're out of options, 
their father says, okay, bring a tribute, bring a mincha back to this leader, the vice regent of Egypt, um, whoever he is. And it happens to be their brother who ends up saving them, rescuing them from death. The grain gift is the tribute, it's the mincha. Now I want you to picture observant Jews in the afternoon prayer. If you search the word mincha, uh, and uh, this is the first picture that comes up on Wikipedia, right? The mincha is the afternoon prayer. You have shacharit in the morning, you have mincha in the afternoon, and you have ma'ariv, the evening. Why are there three? Because the prayers in Judaism correspond to the offerings and the services that they would have in the temple, right? So even if there's no temple, we as Jews are anchored to the, to the temple or the tabernacle or these, these sacrifices. They're still relevant, right? Even when Daniel was outside of the land, like the first destruction of the temple, what did he do? He prayed three times a day. Why? Right? Because he was, it was corresponding to those offerings, to those services, um, in those sacrifices. So the mincha prayer, the same grain offering or gift, think of Joseph, think of Esau and Jacob, but we also think of observant Jews today. It's the once a day afternoon prayer. Remember, uh, this, uh, the original, uh, verse that I gave from Leviticus, what did it say? It said that Aaron and his sons eat the remainder of that which is left by God for the mincha offering. So what are they doing here? They're sharing a meal with God. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? It's hard to think about that, right? But this Leviticus kind of stretches our, our mind to be able to understand the love of God. So this is what I, one way I think about it. Think of like a young boy. He asks his mother for money so he can buy his mom chocolates for her birthday, right? Because he doesn't have a job, right? So he's got to ask her for money. So he gets the money and then he gets the chocolates. And then when they... When they share it, right, he gives it to her, what do they do? They share it, so he eats half and she eats half, right? So this is, uh, they kind of share the, the sweetness, the gift together. And it's the best gift she's ever received, right? It came from her, right, but it also, in a sense, came from her son. So this is a, it's a tribute gift. So this is kind of one way, um, uh, analogy that I have, maybe that's helpful. There's another offering. The final offering we're going to talk about today is called chatat, or uh, chata'at, actually. Um, so this is where it comes from in Leviticus 4.3. And these are all from this week's Parsha, all these offerings. Um, if the anointed priest should sin, bringing guilt upon the people, he's to bring near, there's that korban verb again, uh, for the sin that he has sinned, a bull, a young of the herd, holy sound, for Adonai as a chatat, and... Fox translates this, decontamination offering. What's going on there? <laughs> All right. So chata'at is the same root as the word for sin. And sometimes it actually means sin in, in the Bible. Um, and it's often called the sin offering, if you read it in another 
um, they wouldn't say decontamination offering, but uh, they would say uh, sin offering. This is the same word for sin. Where do you think this first appears? It's the sin that's crouching at the door trying to devour Cain. We're back to Cain and Abel again, right? For their offerings, right? The chata'at. It's crouching at him, but what does God say? He's encouraging Cain. He says, you must overcome this, this devouring nature, right? It's the same word for sin in the Joseph story. When Joseph forgives his brothers, they say, you know, please forgive us um, this, these sins that we've done, the chata'at. It's the offering that purges sin because it has the same root, right? Now, I want us to picture Yeshua. He's arranging for the Passover meal. And then he's having the Passover meal. And he raises up a cup. He raises up a cup of wine filled to the brim. What is he thinking about? He's renewing a covenant. Maybe he's thinking about Abel, who was slain before his time. Abel, who brought his mincha, his heartfelt gift. Or maybe he's thinking of Cain, the sin which caused him to devour his brother, the chata'at. Or maybe he's lifting it up and he's thinking of Isaac, gratefully offering himself that which goes up, the Olah, which is Isaac himself. Indeed, Yeshua will soon be high and lifted up in the same way. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his Appearance was disfigured more than any man, his form more than the sons of men, so he will sprinkle many nations. It sounds like an offering, right? An offering poured out not just for Israel, but for all nations. He will make himself the Olah, like Isaac. He will make an Aliyah. Remember, he goes up. He goes up not only to the tree, lifted on the tree, but he's also lifted up to the highest holy place. He's on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. Perhaps Yeshua was thinking of the offering up that Noah gave. A renewed humanity. A resurrection. A new start. Putting away destruction and death with the promise of new life. Perhaps Yeshua was thinking of the gift that Jacob gave Esau as a sign that he had changed. Or the gift that Joseph's brothers gave him as a tribute to their ruler, their ruler who was also their brother. Or perhaps Yeshua was thinking of the offering that purges, the sin offering that he was about to give his sinless life in the place of sinners. And so he raised the cup of the renewed covenant. And the next day he offered himself on the tree. He was high and lifted up and he died and then he was raised to life. There was new life after death and destruction, just like with Noah. And then, not only was he raised to life, he was raised up in glory 40 days later. Or perhaps Yeshua was thinking of you in that moment, raising the Passover cup and then offering himself the mincha, 
the gift, the olah, the going up, the drawing near, the korban, and the one who became as sin, chata'at, the perfect offering. Beloved, the offerings in Leviticus are the love language of God, woven throughout the stories of the scriptures, brought to fullness in Yeshua. So what is our response? How can we offer ourselves back to God in response to what he has offered to us? Let's pray. Avinu, we thank you for your faithfulness throughout the scriptures. We thank you for the fullness of the sacrificial system and the love for us that we see in Leviticus, in Genesis, and all throughout, Lord, in the book of Hebrews, in Isaiah. We see this story of your faithfulness to us, and uh, we, we want to respond to it. We want to respond to you giving us um, your gifts and you loving us, we also want to offer ourselves back to you, Lord. So help us to, um, to be molded into your image uh, this morning, to be more like Yeshua who gave of himself his very life, right, back um, so that we can do the same. And we thank you that Yeshua is the, is the fullness of the sacrificial system, the fullness of the priesthood, uh, the fullness of your faithfulness, and that uh, he is high and lifted up, uh, not only on the tree, but high and lifted up in glory. And we thank you, Lord, that we, are, we who cling to Yeshua are moving in the same direction, from death to resurrection and to glory. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.